Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, I'm Bella Perez Rubio, Puma Podcast, and you're listening to Teka Teka Explains. In today's episode... I know that today there are countless people in this country and around the world who have experienced the same sudden access of unexpected emotion. And I think millions of us are trying to understand why we are feeling this deep and personal and almost familial sense of loss. On September 7, 2022, the world's longest reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, died at Balmoral Castle, Scotland, at the age of 96. The grief over the sovereign's passing felt almost universal in Britain. Former Prime Minister Boris Johnson tried to put it into words at Parliament. Perhaps it's partly that she's always been there, a changeless human reference point in British life. The person who, all the surveys say, appears most often in our dreams. So unvarying in her pole star radiance that we have perhaps been lulled into thinking that she might be in some way eternal. But the response elsewhere in the world was more muted, to say the least. In some countries, there was clamor for Britain to give back their looted jewels and artifacts. Former colonies also started to talk about breaking ties with the crown and becoming their own republics. It all begs the question, how much longer can the British monarchy last? The thing about the British Empire, especially for the British, is that there is still ongoing nostalgia for empire. Especially in the last 10 years, British politics has been about this nostalgia for what they considered their greatest era. So there is this sort of collective consciousness that their former greatness has been lost. That's Javier Tionlok. He's a European studies professor at the Ateneo de Manila University, where he also teaches an elective on monarchy. The contemporary monarchy is a successor of centuries of empire, centuries of imperialism, and of course with imperialism comes experiences and now memories of abuse. Violent experiences, violent memories, crimes that have yet to be addressed in legitimate forms of reparation. One form of reparation that has long been sought by former colonies is the return of the crown jewels. Take, for example, the 105-carat oval-shaped Kohinoor diamond or the Mountain of Light, 
one of the largest and most famous diamonds in the world. It was worn by Queen Elizabeth II during her coronation. The origins of the diamond are shrouded in mystery, but according to the Smithsonian, the British got a hold of it in 1849 when they annexed parts of India. Then they forced the heir to the throne, Dilip Singh, to sign a document giving away the Kohinoor and all claims to sovereignty. Keep in mind, Dilip was only 10 years old at the time. Why is Kohinoor so important? Because the Kohinoor was the specific artifact that the Indian government asked to be returned. And then David Cameron, as British Prime Minister back then, said, no, it's not to be returned. So all of a sudden, it complicates the very discussion on the material and the practical approach to reparations. Even the British public were put off when it was first unveiled at the Great Exhibition of 1851. It was criticized as a symbol of the East India Company's plunder of India. So the Kohinoor is so symbolic because the general narrative about that specific diamond is that the British would say that it was given to them as a gift. But everyone who is sensible enough to understand the dynamics of empire knows that it was taken by force and given to the crown as a symbol of victory that the British had already conquered effectively the entirety of India. And it's not just India's Kohinoor. South Africa has laid claim on the 530.2 carat Cullinan One, also known as the Great Star of Africa. It's the world's largest known clear-cut diamond and sits on the Queen's scepter. Meanwhile, sitting front and center on the Queen's crown is the 317-carat Cullinan II. The Cullinan I and II are the biggest cuts of the Cullinan diamond, which was first discovered in 1905 in a mine owned by its namesake, Thomas Cullinan, and reportedly given as a gift to King Edward VII. Others believe it was stolen. Either way, Javier doesn't think India or South Africa will get them back anytime soon. No, it won't happen. Not anytime soon. Well, a lot of museums in Europe have started to return some artifacts that we admitted later on were stolen as a result of the empire. But the thing about the British empire is that much of these treasures are so symbolic to them now that it reminds them of their imperial successes. So, not in this generation. In any case, it's not even up to the monarchy to decide. It's up to parliament. And prior requests to return the Kohinoor to India were turned down by former Prime Minister David Cameron. Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan have also laid claim to the jewel, but to no avail. And it's not just these countries that are still reckoning with the British Empire. Other countries are rethinking their ties to the crown. The Commonwealth is an association of independent states. Not all of them have Queen Elizabeth as head of state. There are republics in Africa and Asia that are part of the Commonwealth who do not consider Elizabeth II as head of state. While many view the Commonwealth as a shoddy British attempt to save face as its empire crumbled, its membership has actually grown in recent years and is not limited to former colonies. It is the largest English-speaking association of countries. And in international politics, being member 
of all of these organizations do serve a diplomatic purpose. They provide certain benefits. The Queen's death, however, has complicated things. I was reading in the news the other day. I was focusing on two specific countries, Australia and New Zealand. Because if you think about it geographically, they're the most remote from London itself. Australia's prime minister is a Republican. He genuinely likes the Queen, but he doesn't like the idea that Australia still has a British monarch. He would prefer Australia to be a republic. And there were discussions in 2011, 2012, saying that they're actually just waiting for Elizabeth II to die because they don't want to convert into a republic because the personal popularity of the monarch in Australia is quite high, but the popularity of monarchy as a form of government is not as high. The British crown is also the crown of 14 other realms, but Javier expects that many of these states will seriously consider republicanism now that the queen is gone. And then more interestingly, New Zealand, their prime minister just said a few days ago, while converting New Zealand into a republic is not her priority because her priority really is COVID recovery, she thinks that within her lifetime, New Zealand will become a republic. So republicanism is likely to grow. It's hard to believe that one person can have this much effect, slowing the inevitable change of government that most other countries have already made. But it's worth remembering just what she meant to so many. Here's former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson again. He had his final meeting with the Queen just a day before she died. And as we look back at that vast arc of service, its sheer duration is almost impossible to take in. She was the last living person in British public life to have served in uniform in the Second World War. She was the first female member of the royal family in a thousand years to serve full-time in the armed forces. And that impulse to do her duty carried her right through into her 10th decade to the very moment in Balmoral as my right hon. In fact, Queen Elizabeth first addressed her people when she was a 14-year-old princess in 1940, a year into the Second World War. Thousands of you in this country have had to leave your homes and be separated from your fathers and mothers. Before I finish, I can truthfully say to you all that we children at home are full of cheerfulness and courage. We are trying to do all we can to help our gallant sailors, soldiers and airmen. And we are trying too to bear our own share of the danger and sadness of war. She echoed this when she spoke to her people through a televised broadcast in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. Today, once again, Many will feel a painful sense of separation from their loved ones. But now as then, we know deep down that it is the right thing to do. While we have faced challenges before, this one is different. This time we join with all nations across the globe in a common endeavor, using the great advances of science and our instinctive compassion to heal. We will succeed And that success will belong to every one of us. To hear this from someone who lived through the war and the COVID-19 pandemic was just unprecedented. We should take comfort 
that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. But now that she's gone, where does that leave the monarchy? Already, the cost of maintaining it baffles many in the UK. And 2021 polls show that only 14% of those aged 18 to 34 still believe that the monarchy is necessary for Britain. The latest financial reports showed that the royal family cost British taxpayers 102.4 million euros within a year, at a time when people across the UK can't even afford gas or heating. The cost of the Grand State funeral is not yet known, but taxpayers will have to foot the bill amid Britain's worst economic crisis in recent history. We're not even touching on the personal wealth inherited by members of the royal family or the firm. No one can really know for sure, but Forbes pegs it at an estimated $28 billion. Longevity, I think they will still remain a monarchy for at least two reigns. I think William will reach a point that he will still be king. I don't think Britain will become a republic while Charles is king, unless he does something so absurd. Here's one of the last things we learned about King Charles III before he ascended the throne. He accepted money from a questionable cast of characters, including a Qatari politician who gave him bags full of cash amounting to 3 million euros. These went to his charities, but still. Queen Elizabeth II was so successful in keeping herself enigmatic. Very few people knew what she was thinking. She was just there. With Charles, everyone knows more or less what he thinks. Because he is a very vocal and opinionated human. Everyone knows what his preferences are on climate change. Everyone knows what his preferences are on cultural heritage. So it's very difficult to keep that image off. Regardless of who you are, you could speak to this monarch. And of course, people can't forget Charles's many missteps before he became king. Charles grew up and lived in the era of massive public scrutiny, which he brought onto himself. He had the history of divorce, infidelity, the Diana legacy will also affect how people perceive Charles and his wife. So that will be the skeleton in his closet. That how do you now revere a king who made so many mistakes that so many people hated? just 25, 30 years ago. One way to make sense of these polarized views of the queen and the monarchy itself is to remember that her job has, in large part, been characterized by a lack of decision-making. She's a sovereign, the literal face of her country, but she's never really ruled. We have to be more specific and more detail-oriented about how we understand imperial reparations. Because, for example... As a person who has studied a lot of European history, whenever I think of empire, I don't really think of monarchy. When I think of imperial abuses, I think of the likes of Winston Churchill. I think of the likes of Lord Balfour, a former British prime minister. Lord Balfour is responsible for dividing Israel, creating promising land to Israel, and then create, which we have now as a problem, the Israel and Palestinian conflict. That was a British decision. It was the British Parliament who decided that that would be the solution. And we're still living with those problems. The same can be said about other parts of the Middle East, parts of Africa, as well as India and Pakistan, hotbeds of long-running conflict that once formed part of the British Empire. 
But that doesn't absolve the queen or her ancestors of wrongdoing. We're not saying that the crown in itself should be immune to criticism. Because, of course, the crown was engineered to be the face of empire. So if people react negatively to it, it is normal. That is to be expected and that is highly valid. The challenge now is how do you differentiate or should we even differentiate the figurehead monarch from the multi-generational establishment that is monarchy? Because even in Britain, they have a hard time doing that. And while anger at imperialism might be shoring up support for republicanism abroad, as we mentioned, there is a real feeling of nostalgia in the UK. Because with the United Kingdom, it's a totally different creature. The crown of the United Kingdom precedes empire. It goes back 1,400 years. So it's not something that they would be so willing to change overnight. And frankly, if you ask me, they shouldn't just change randomly overnight. Because in politics, overnight radical change is also a form of chaos. It will produce an amount of instability that British society might not be ready to address. And that was today's episode of Teka Teka Explains. Again, I'm Bella Perez Rubio. This episode was produced by Kat Ventura and edited by Preshka Pistrano. If you like this episode, please give us a 5-star rating. And of course, don't forget to follow Teka Teka Explains and our 5-minute explainers, Teka Teka News, wherever you listen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>